everyone and welcome back to How to Self-Therapize. I am joined here with Dr. Miller. Good morning, Dr. Miller. How are you doing? Good morning, Rebecca. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing well, thank you. Today's episode is on how to sleep better to be better and vice versa, how feeling better can also help you to sleep better. So that's a big theme of today's episode is how um, directly related they are in the bi-directional relationship of both. So here's some food for thought to kind of start to conceptualize the importance and the um, how fundamental sleep is to functioning. So sleep is so important that someone would die sooner from sleep deprivation than they would from deprivation of food. So if you were out in the wild, you would survive longer without food than you would without sleep. So that's really um, telling about how fundamental it is, not only for survival, but proper human functioning as well. Today's episode is all about promoting sleep and discussing why it's not only important for our overall health, but especially for our mental health, specific to this podcast on mental health education. During sleep, it gives our body a chance to work and support healthy brain functioning and maintain physical health. For children and teenagers specifically, sleep is really vital to their growth and development. Also, the longer we go without proper sleep, the greater risk there is to experience a lot of chronic health issues. I think that most of us understand the concept that sleep is important, but I think less of us care to find out why it's so important, which is maybe in part um, a reason why it's easy to forget to maintain these healthy sleeping habits because we don't really understand the why um, to why it's so important. Do I'm curious, do you get a lot of people coming in to see you where poor sleep is a theme in what you see? Or maybe um, after having seen people for a while in session, you discover that um, sleep issues explain a lot of maybe their psychological distress that they're experiencing? That's a good question, Rebecca. Um, I always ask the question, how are you sleeping Mm -hmm. in every session? And I will continue to ask that question as people are, you know, in their therapy and continuing to progress with whatever you know they are coming in for care around because sleep is so important and you said it when you brought that piece of information into the podcast that sleep that you can go longer without food than you can without sleep Mm -hmm. so because of the research around the importance of sleep in relation to mental health and that mental health of course also impacts our sleep I always ask about sleep Mm -hmm. it's like key and it's essential to people's well-being so one of the things I have noted is the more chronic the mental health or the more complex of issues that people are facing usually you see the sleep is very much um, not there in a way that would be healthy for them um, they're sleeping less or they sleep and they wake up a lot they sleep and wake up in distress sometimes there could be some very traumatic dreams that are keeping them um, outside of a healthy sleep pattern but I'm always looking at sleep, the role of sleep in people's well-being. Mm-hmm. So I think today's topic is so crucial to bring information forward with and to help people understand that sleep is key to our existence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you think about it, sleep is how we start and 
end every single day. So it's really pinnacle to how we're starting off our days and setting a good tone for it as well as ending off on a good note and um, kind of getting some positive momentum or negative momentum as well. Right. And I think around that, you know, a lot of the recommendations for the adult folks are about seven to eight hours. That's actually Mm -hmm. a a key recommendation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll go a little bit, you know, without um, and have less hours of Mm -hmm. sleep. But our norm should be around seven to eight. And of course, if we've got teens and younger people, that increases substantially Mm -hmm. because for those teens, they want them sleeping you know, nine to 10 hours. Right. And not a lot of teens would be getting that level of sleep. And then our little, little people, I mean, really, I think the research around our little, little people is in the beginning, about 70 to 80% of their life is Mm -hmm. about sleeping. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that starts to decrease as, of course, they get a little bit older. So those newborns are sleeping most of their most of the time, that's because it's essential to their growth. Mm -hmm. And I think I've actually mentioned in a previous podcast as well with the research related to the prefrontal cortex. So of course, we know that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until about 25. So this is a fully developed adult in terms of reasoning and judgment. And that's where that seven to hours of sleep really um, comes into play. And that's why when we look at the younger demographics and age groups, is why there is a need for so much more sleep is because their prefrontal cortex and their judgment and their reasoning is not nearly as fully developed as a full-grown adult. And when we look at that seven to eight hour mark as well, if we're getting any less than that or we're getting more than that, it's equally as detrimental to your impairing your judgment and giving an undertone of fogginess as well in our day-to-day functioning. Right, exactly. In terms of getting into the specifics of why sleep is so important, so I mentioned how it's important for overall well-being, of course, and functioning and survival, really. Um, But more specifically, some of the big reasons why sleep is so vital is, one, it helps with brain functioning to a point where a good night's sleep can make us feel much more obviously alert and clear-headed compared to maybe when you um, have a disruptive sleep then we can often wake up feeling very foggy, like I mentioned, and the research shows that our brain performance actually suffers in that it's a lot slower. Access Health Network has a article that talks about how chronic sleep loss has such an effect on impairment of our judgment to the point that it's one of the leading causes actually for fatal car accidents. So we can see that as an example of how much sleep and fatigue can affect our daily functioning and lead to a lot of really serious implications. Another reason why sleep is really vital for brain functioning is that it's really paramount in regulating our emotions. I personally find myself a lot more irritable or sensitive to things that normally wouldn't affect me as much when I'm having a bad sleep versus when I'm getting a full seven to eight hours of sleep in a night. Sleep deficiency is also linked to psychological stressors like depression, suicide, and risky behavior as well. In adults, poor sleep can result in a lot of mood swings, which is this regulation of emotions. It's harder to regulate. And when you look at children, it can result in a lot of more tantrums. And um, this is really curious, I think, because when you think of how children get so cranky or exhibit really sporadic behavior, if they were to skip a nap or if they were to oversleep or not have a consistent um, sleeping schedule with consistent naps in the day, um, it really translates similarly to adults because if we over or under sleep as well, it can result in us having pretty evident mood swings as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that point is really important, you know, whether you 
are a parent with children or thinking about yourself in the world, you know, sometimes that edgy or frustration look into what was my sleep like versus, oh, that's just a frustrated person or that child is acting out. What is the impact of not sleeping, you know, in a way that is healthy and meaningful? Mm-hmm. The intentionality, it comes around a lot with what is the purpose? How are you setting yourself up for a good sleep? Are you even, a lot of people, I've read something about revenge sleep, I think it was called. This concept that if you feel like you weren't fully productive in your day, you subconsciously don't let yourself go to sleep and mm-hmm. keep yourself up later because it's almost like you don't feel like you deserve to get a good good night's rest, which is really curious because I find myself doing that a lot too, like keeping myself up later be- if I didn't feel like I did enough in the day and wasn't productive enough. So that's another point of like intentionality with sleep. That's actually interesting because it ties into the sleep hygiene, right? Mm-hmm. That intending to go to sleep, that sleep is important no matter what happened in the day. Um, it is about intentionality. So I intend to set myself up for success in sleep. Mm-hmm. And success means that I can have a restful sleep, that I get the amount of sleep that I need. And that would undo some of that revenge sleeping. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard that term out there. And really the idea is at a sub- subconscious level, you're self-sabotaging. It's a I don't deserve to, which can tie into some self-esteem whether or not I feel I have self-worth, self-value, which could also have some deeper um, links to other traumatic experiences or relational dynamics where you felt you weren't as valued. Somehow that was communicated to you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just searching it up here just to get a better definition from the Sleep Foundation organization that um, I'm pulling a lot of the information from as well. So revenge bedtime procrastination is the official term they use, which refers to the decision to delay sleep in response so it's almost a, it's a response to like you mentioned to to stress or lack of free time earlier in the day. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So then you're actually choosing. So it is like a self sabotage, which then underneath that I would say, what's what's the core like, right? Is it you know somewhere in my story I've heard someone said to me I didn't deserve, mm-hmm. didn't deserve to be loved, to be valued, etc., mm-hmm. and that isn't resolved. So then this new concern just festers it, yeah, right? Really and so how would you come into that and recognize it as that type of concern and go back in with self-compassion and be compassionate Mm -hmm. that today all you were able to do is whatever you did and then bringing back in that intentionality of let's intend now to really take care of myself Mm -hmm. with self-compassion right and I think like a lot of topics in this podcast this is something you know a construct obviously that's that's come up in society like this isn't actually necessarily like a primary researched you know definition however the awareness of why you might be doing what you're doing to yourself without even knowing it is really important because then you can show yourself compassion in in understanding the process. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I like that because the construct around any term gives us an understanding sometimes around clusters of behaviors Mm -hmm. or experiences we're going to like a social phenomena of some sort. And once it can be better defined, then we can externalize it versus internalizing Mm -hmm. it. Like, look at me, there's something wrong Wrong with me. me, Yeah. And that externalizing is part of breaking that cycle and then doing something, finding ways to cope and, and, be more adaptive about those behaviors as well when in session 
Like we talked about how you really, one of the key things you ask is how are you sleeping? So I'm wondering what are the connections that you draw between someone's sleep patterns and any distress? Kind of what's that role in your practice? Well, it's a really a continuum of experience because if someone's coming in with a very traumatic experience, let's say car accident mm-hmm. could be one or something, some exposures to some level of violence, um, one of the things we know is the brain it will be very activated from being in a traumatic experience. And when you have a brain that's been very activated emotionally, very engaged around intense fear or tense emotions such as fear, terror, um, I'm not safe, betrayal, etc. You're going to have a brain that's not going to easily soothe and release, right? And come back into more of a calm state. So depending on what people are coming into therapy with, if I know it's more of a traumatic experience, I know that sleep will probably not be good for a period of time until we get that brain in a place and the person feels more able to be in control of whatever the impact was. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what happens is sometimes that conversation is really looking at what has happened and then what's going on with sleep and normalizing some of that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Because people are afraid or they're very overwhelmed. So you can actually bring in some of the education as you are. And then taking a look at sometimes um, there's engagement with their family doctor and there's maybe a need for some support Mm -hmm. in their sleep because the number one thing that we know around traumatic um, experiences, people need to sleep because the brain has now gone through something so substantial as has the body Mm -hmm. and together, right, everything's in a crisis state. So that's Mm -hmm. one sort of experience that could come in where sleep is just um, pertinent to recovery. I think some of the other experiences that are coming in is based on some of the anxieties, depressions, other experiences around mental health that people are going through, and really always looking at sleep. And you'll see with increased anxiety, increased depression, there can be a lack of sleep, or people go to sleep because they're exhausted, but they're waking mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Or their sleep is not a deep sleep, really. Mm-hmm. It's like they're sleeping, but their brain is still processing yeah, through all sorts of things. It's disrupted, right? Yes. They can't actually yeah. fully rest. Yes. So it sounds like when you touch on the distress, you kind of see what the role of sleep, A, how well they're sleeping, and then how it can help in the process. Because I think a huge key piece to sleep is also the role of consolidation of you know memories, especially with trauma. And also, once you're doing that therapeutic work, sleep is really important to consolidate the strategies and the insights and the new perspectives that people are gaining. So getting a good night's rest after doing weeks worth of therapy is really important to be able to start to grow and develop these adaptive behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. And really helping people know, like it's a process. So when you get a bit of recovery in sleep, it's like you could see, okay, they can now sleep let's say for three hours versus they go to sleep and they're awake and they fall asleep and they're awake right away. So you help people also chart and and Mm. see those cycles where things are getting better or where they're not. And then we're looking at all the stressors and potential triggers that are coming in and around um, when they fall asleep and what might be playing out in their mind and their thinking. And then sleep hygiene Mm -hmm. becomes a really key part of the process of education and helping them establish small goals. Yeah, Sleep tracking is a huge one and very popularized with with technology as well. There's a lot of apps out there. Mm-hmm. I know like the Apple Watch has a sleep tracking feature. There's like rings now that can help track and like see what your sleep stages are, where disruptions are, um, typical habits that happen, you know, before, during and after sleep. So 
a lot of things accessible to help with that as well. Um, the Sleep Foundation points out a really obvious link that I think we overlook um, between sleep and mental health, which comes from a colloquial phrase that we hear almost every day is this idea of waking up on the wrong side of the bed. So drawing a link between um, sleep directly and signifying when someone is in a bad mood. So that's something to keep in mind. I also mentioned that there's a bi-directional relationship between sleep and mental health. This means that mental health disorders have shown to make it harder to get adequate sleep and at the same time it's vice versa. So poor sleep is a major contributor to the worsening of psychological pr um, problems and disorders as well. This can be conceptualized as kind of like a loop. So if we're starting at a place of feelings of worry and stress, these feelings of worry and stress can um, lead to lack of sleep because it's keeping us up at night. This lack of sleep then in the morning when we wake up, we wake up tired. And because we're waking up tired and not, and having this mental fogginess, then that instills a difficulty to cope with daily life and we're not able to do things to the full, our full ability and to our full capacity. And because of that, that will lower self-esteem because we're not performing to the level that we know we can and then low self-esteem feeds back into these feelings of worry and stress. So it's kind of a constant loop that is difficult to break, especially if you don't fully have the awareness that it all starts and ends with sleep. Mm -hmm. Where can people begin to maybe break this cycle or start to develop a better relationship with sleep? Well, there's a couple different uh, phases within helping people to re-regulate their sleep and mm -hmm. get and engage better sleep patterns so some of it is around the sleep hygiene so going to bed at a consistent time especially during weekdays so i say if you want to be funky on the weekend go ahead <laughs> but find some days where it's pretty straightforward during the week so if you're going to choose to be in bed by 10 sleeping by 11 um, an hour before you're getting ready for bed or ready to get um, to bed you would start all of your sh your small goals around making sure your electronics are turned off because to stim up on some sort of social media right before bed means the brain's going into some sort of sleep pattern mm -hmm. very stimmed and a brain that's too stimmed is not going to turn off that well mm -hmm. so put your electronics away you know take the time to get yourself ready for bed and some people take a shower some people have a cup of tea do some light reading some people do need some background noise when they're going to sleep and that can be anything from some sort of music that's not too stimming to a book tape like a harry potter that you've heard it a thousand times and you're just listening to it in the background mm -hmm. that's okay too it's a little soothing and sedating for some people's brains that are they're finding their brain is quite busy um, turn the lights out and make sure your bed is set up for sleeping not full of everything mm -hmm. that you need to do tomorrow um, and try and just make sure that you know any sort of distraction is turned off so that means TVs and all of those great things that we can have in our sleep space um, I also say to people too, don't try and have your most difficult conversations at night so sometimes people start up some pretty intense conversations at about 9.30 and then they're hoping to get to bed by 10.30 mm -hmm. and it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So some of those intense emotional conversations, I say, make a note in a journal. There's some things you want to, you know, address and talk to people you care about. Um with but don't try and do that right before bed because yeah. you're already tired usually people are pretty overloaded from a full day mm -hmm. and that includes children as well mm -hmm. yeah a few really great points in there that made me think 
the shutting off devices we know is really vital because of that blue light component that stimulates essentially sunlight in our brains. It's kind of that same wavelength. So um, one small thing that I use is um, turning on the night light mode on a, on a device sometimes when it starts to become um, evening time just so it removes that component of, of stimulation in terms of um, light waves. The second um, that you mentioned is kind of listening to tapes or or something that's more relaxing and not as an not really an active engagement. Um, there's things called sleep casts, for example, that are just like storytelling that are super soothing with these background noises that I typically listen to, um, specifically on the Headspace app. I'm sure on YouTube you can find a lot of free alternatives as well. Um, and then that idea also you mentioned of having really thought-provoking conversations right before bed. Um, can be really troublesome, especially because it'll get your mind racing and thinking about new things and ruminating over things that maybe make you worried or stressed. Um, another thing that works for me is to, essentially it's called a nighttime like brain dump. So it's, it's just like journaling and getting out all of these thoughts, <clears throat> not necessarily with another person, but just on paper or, or writing down um, anything that's on your mind before bed, just getting it out of your head. Um, any tasks you have for the day the day to come, um, just to get those out of your head. Because I think when you have something pending, your brain almost tries to keep it in short-term memory so you don't forget it, and that can keep you very awake and alert. So kind of putting that down in writing to remind yourself um, once you've had your good night's rest can be really helpful. Um, things you have to do for the week, things you're looking forward to, things that worry you, just letting it all out, letting your brain spill what it needs to spill out, and then letting yourself have that opportunity for rest is, I've found is really useful. Yeah, and I agree. So the research on any sort of journaling is two to three times a week for 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But when you think of that kind of dumping out, um, brain dumping, I do the same thing. Like I have a journal and I'll just write things down or things that maybe I didn't have time to process and process it into the mm -hmm. journal. And then when it's more of a daily or, you know, a couple times a week you're doing that, dumping out, you realize you're not carrying all this stuff around. Mm -hmm. And it's there. It's named, right? And then if you need to go back in and review or putting out thoughts of tasks or ideas. Sometimes you can just have a creative idea and if you sit there and you know think about it, you may not go to sleep because you get too excited. So yeah, it's like put it on exactly. paper, it's there for <laughs> you and it lets your brain know, yes, this is real and I'm going to attend to it, but I need to sleep not first. Right now, yeah. exactly. Some other suggestions from the Sleep Foundation organization for improving sleep habits include, like you mentioned, setting a consistent bedtime every night and maintaining a steady sleep schedule and when you think about it a lot of people this might this isn't going to look the same for a lot of people a lot of people are higher functioning morning people are higher functioning nighttime people and it really doesn't matter if you're more productive in the morning or night it's just this time frame of seven to eight hours is the key <clears throat> per night finding ways to wind down so these relaxation techniques that we've touched on like listening to tapes or the sleep casts, etc. Avoiding alcohol, tobacco, and caffeine, especially in the evening times, is really crucial because they are depressants, there are stimulants, so they can really um, affect our brain functioning and our ability to get into a restful stage. Um, regular exercise and exposure to natural sunlight during the daytime can be really vital for be helping us get to a relaxation stage come nighttime and getting our bodies into a routine. 
maximizing comfort and support of mattress, pillows, and bedding. That's kind of something you touched on, the importance of a comfortable space within the bedroom and and making that um, your safe space because it is where you come to rest and start and end every day. And then blocking out excess light if possible, um, you know, with blinds or curtains and whatnot. And then blocking out excess sound if possible, so that can be with a sound machine. Um, either of these things that could disrupt your sleep. Yeah. It's a few points from them. And I think that list is a really nice guideline. I always kind of chuckle. Um, I always say to one of my dogs, she doesn't always get the sleep memo, so she <laughs> likes to wake up sometimes and bark. And, you know, when you have pets too, thinking about how do you maintain some sort of schedule so that they also yeah, honor that boundaries sleep. Yeah, too, right? yes. And some of these things like th- that we've talked about seem very intuitive and like obvious maybe to some people and most people might know this already but I find that just rehearing some suggestions and bringing another you know more of an obvious awareness and a new awareness to these things can help us um, remind ourselves that we can either improve or continue to do things that are working for us that is all for today's episode thank you all so much for tuning in and i hope this episode inspires you to get a great night's sleep tonight thank you so much dr miller as always anything to add thank you rebecca and thank you everyone be brave be strong and take care of yourselves